I want to share with you a message uh, this afternoon. Actually, two of them. We're going to look at um, the high priestly ministry of Jesus and uh, the significance of that for us as a people today. But before we begin, I just ask if we just please bow our heads just for an added word of prayer as we ask God to be with us. Father in heaven, now in a special way, dear Lord, bless us and keep us. And I pray most of all, dear Jesus, that we might see you. Help us to realize how much you love us and care about us and that you have the sufficient grace to keep us from falling. Bless us now, Lord, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my talk today is Such a High Priest. And I take that from, Rome, uh, from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, we have such an high priest who is set down at the right hand of the throne of the majesties in the heavens. And Paul simply, you know, he says, we have such a high priest. Now he built up on that case. And, and really, I love, in Hebrews, you can really learn about the high priestly ministry of Jesus and really what it's all about and the significance of that priestly ministry. And Paul, um, in making that statement, he's, he's simply saying, we have such a high priest. And, and before that, he builds his case on the high priestly ministry. And even after he begins to talk about it, we'll deal with um, two aspects of the uh, ministry of Jesus today. This, this message and then the next one, we'll pick up on it again. But what kind of a high priest do we have? What kind of a high priest do we, God's people, have? I want you to turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And I want you to look with me here in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 3. Notice with me verse 1. Paul says this, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, Paul here... um, drawing the, 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 his, God's people, their attention to not an earthly priesthood. But rather, Paul is trying to help the people of God to look at a different type of a priesthood other than an earthly priesthood. Now, I want you to notice the word here. is a key word within this verse that will help us to understand the, the, really the significance of what Paul is saying here and how we are to... Um, uh, look at our high priest. He says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, notice the next word, consider. Now, really that's a strong word because Paul is simply saying this, that he wants God's people to consider to this point, to the point of investigation. Now, in other words, in in considering uh, the subject matter, and we'll talk about the subject matter in, in a moment, But he's asking God's people to consider to the point of investigation whereby God's people may be partakers and experience that investigation. And so it doesn't become just simply in head knowledge. It's simply that it's it's both an experience, uh, an intellectual and an experience consideration. You see? And so Paul is trying to get them to... uh, Intellectually, you know, and you need, you remember, you know, you can't experience something, your, 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 your mind cannot register. 
If it doesn't pass through the mind, conscience, and, and, and you know, register and reasoning factors and so on, you cannot experience that, that, uh, that uh, object upon which you're con- trying to consider. If it doesn't register. And so Paul is trying to emphasize the two, twofold aspect of consideration. One, to the point of investigation, whereby in that investigation you become a partaker experientially of that investigation. And so now he goes on to say this. Now, he goes on to say, consider. Now, the subject matter that he takes up is what? What is it that he wants us to consider? The apostles and high priests. All right. So he goes on, the apostle and high priest of our profession. Now, what constitutes our profession is the subject matter. That's right, which is our high priest. Now, an understanding when Paul was writing the book of Hebrews, we have to realize that the earthly tabernacle was still standing, wasn't it? When he brought, wrote Hebrews. It's, yes, because when was the earthly tabernacle totally desolated and destroyed? 70 A.D., all right? So this was written before that, all right? So now what Paul is simply trying to do is, simple, is this, that there were Jews and Jewish Christians at the time and Gentiles and all, still considering an earthly priesthood. But Paul was trying to draw their attention away from the earthly priesthood where they would take and put their attention and notice where he tells where Jesus is at. He says, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of what? The what? Heavenly calling. All right, now, he takes your, your callings taken from where? From heaven. And then from there he brings in the subject matter, which is Christ our high priest. So our high priest dwells where? Why? In the heavens. And so Paul is simply trying to get God's people to to get their eyes off of the earthly priesthood because that has passed away. And we'll talk about that in our next lecture. That has passed away. And he now wants to draw God's people's attention into the heavens where dwells the real high priest. Our, of our profession, Jesus Christ. And you see, what was happening back then, you have to remember, go back and to think of what the Jewish culture at the time, they still considered that earthly high priest as the means upon which they would receive and, and uh, um, 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 or I should say, th- that through that high priest, that earthly high priest, they found access to God. See, because of the tabernacle there and the sacrificing of the lambs and so on. They, they looked upon the earthly priesthood as the means upon which they would find access to God. All right? Now, Paul simply is trying to tell them, listen, that has really come to an end. Where you need to pull your attention is not on the earthly priesthood, but in heaven. Because only there is where the true high priest reigns. And there is where you'll find true access to God. Because Paul later goes on to say there's one mediator between God and man. And who's that? The man Christ Jesus. And so we find that one mediator, who Paul clearly indicates, is Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you this. How are we then to consider, to the point of investigation, whereby we may be partakers of that investigation, our profession in Jesus Christ, our high priest? What kind of high priest do we have? Paul's drawing our attention to this, into the heavenly sanctuary, there to draw our attention upon our, our high priest. What kind of a high priest do we have? 
Now I want you to turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Notice with me here, Hebrews chapter 4. Now Paul, by the way, as I said this before, Paul throughout the book of Hebrews strongly, strongly emphasizes uh, the high priestly ministry of Jesus. And so uh, here you'll find over and over and throughout the chapters, you know, the the picking up of the priestly ministry of Christ. But we're going to take up the Melchizedek priesthood in our next lecture and see the significance of that. But right now, I want to consider something else. And, and when we only can see this part of what I'm going to be talking about in a moment, then the real true significance of the Melchizedek priesthood comes into, into play. And we see the relationship between the Melchizedek priesthood uh, versus uh, the, the Levitical priesthood and, and this true significance, how it has a part to us for today, particularly those of us uh, in this last generation who are partaking of the blessings of the, of the heavenly sanctuary and the investigative judgment. Because Jesus came from the Yeah, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> we're going to talk all about that. Glad to see we got some students. But notice here with me, please, Hebrews chapter 4, and we are going to heed the admonition of the Apostle Paul, whereby we are going to consider our, our, our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, notice with me, please, verse 14. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now, that's almost, you know, and, and a lot of phraseology there is, is taken right out of Hebrews 3.1. You can find the similar phraseology used in Hebrews 3.1. There, notice verse 14, uh, our, our high priest, Jesus Christ, right, in the heavens, you find there a heavenly calling, our high priest, Jesus Christ, Right? That's in Hebrews 3.1. But then you go to the Hebrews 4.14. Again, he goes on, let us hold fast our what? And then in Hebrews 3.1, he says, our high priest of our profession. So you can see the similarity between the two. And it's almost a verbatim. I just simply really believe that Paul's just reemphasizing the fact. And he's just rewording it using some of the similar phrases, but just rewording it another way. And he's going to drive home the point now. He's going to take up, he's picking up now, he's going to drive home a certain point, and it's all in relationship to the high priestly ministry of Jesus, and particularly the high priest. Now watch what it goes on to say. And uh, by the way, it says that uh, we have a high priest where? Where is he at? In the heavens. Now, anyone knows who has the slightest intelligence in, in if you study sanctuary at all, in the Old Testament sanctuary, high priest could never function, I mean, the, the, could never function without, without a, a uh, sanctuary. He had to have an altar. He had to have a you know, means upon which he would, he would minister. So there had to be some type of an altar or a sacrifice or a sanctuary whereby he would minister uh, in, in a proper function. And so the mere fact that uh, there is a real high priest, I mean, you do believe Jesus is a real high priest, okay, on the basis of that alone indicates that there has to be a real sanctuary. Has to be. Because if there's no real sanctuary, then you have to disqualify Jesus as a real high priest. You see, because the two go hand in hand. It's, it's totally uh, illogical to take one without the other. You just cannot do it, and it doesn't make any sense. And, uh, and it just shows that uh, the foolishness in that type of a theology. But here in verse 14, he picks up again in, in what I said in, in uh, Hebrews 3.1. But now he goes on to say this. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now, right there, he puts two negatives together. He jumps in with two negatives now, the reason why he's doing that, um, Paul is simply trying to drive home, not the negative. 
<laughs> that's not the point why he's making that kind of a statement. And how he's making that statement, actually he's, making, he's driving home with more force the positive aspect of what he's trying to drive home. And it's simply this. Watch. He says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, friends, we have a high priest who can be touched and is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And Paul's driving home a very strong point here. You see, it's a very strong point that he's making on this point. Now watch. We have that high priest who can identify with the feelings of our infirmities. It goes on to say this, But was in all points tempted like as we are. In other words, these temptations that came upon Christ is equal and in comparison to what? Our temptations. So then therefore we find an identity between the high priest and his people, right? There is a relationship built. But remember, this is all on the point of the high priestly ministry of Jesus. This is a vital aspect to his ministry. We're going, we'll talk about that in a moment. So he's tempted in all points like as in comparison to you and me, yet without sin. Yet without sin. And so this exalts Jesus and puts him actually separate from us in one sense because, you see, we've all sinned. Right? But we have a high priest who has not sinned. He was tempted in all points. But he did not sin. You see, that even goes to prove that you and I, by God's grace, no matter what temptation hits us, we don't have to sin. But here he brings this point home. Now, I want to ask you something. He goes on to say this in verse 15. He says he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now, the feelings of our infirmities. Our feelings. Have you ever felt lonely? You ever felt lonely? You ever felt that you were... Um, maybe depressed or you felt empty inside or maybe um, you felt distressed. Yeah, deserted. That's a very good word. Deserted. Have you felt, maybe you felt with with sorrow and pain and grief. Ever felt that? You know, Jesus feels the very same things. He can identify with the feelings of our infirmities. And I'm going to show you because Isaiah, the prophet, actually tells you these very things. Isaiah chapter 53. If you turn there with me. Here Isaiah truly shows the humanity of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53. Notice with me please in Isaiah 53 verse 3. Talking about Jesus. And by the way, this whole chapter is to describe in very detailed form Christ's mission and, and I believe, as I say, as I go on, I believe his humanity too. Okay, so it really clearly indicates Jesus' mission, why he's coming to this earth, why is God sending him, and, and so on, and, and, uh, and also his, his humanity, because listen to what he says in verse 3. He was despised. Have you ever been despised? Yes. Jesus was despised. He says, and rejected of men. Have you been rejected by friends? I have. Everyone, you know, and it hurts, doesn't it? It really does to be, be, to be rejected by someone that you've been very close with or have had a very sweet attitude and friendship for so long and all of a sudden maybe because of, uh, of one thing or another you have been rejected. And it's not easy to, to forget, is it? No, it's not. Scars are sometimes extremely deep in, in, in when it affects the, the heart and the emotions of an individual. But Jesus 
Jesus was rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man of sorrows, just like we have been partakers of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. And it goes on to say how we've, we've hid our faces from Him. We, we didn't recognize Him at all. And verse 4 says, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 7 says this, He was oppressed. You know, some people get so depressed you know, to the point uh, where they actually go insane. Really. They get so depressed that they could actually go insane. And it, it, it's, it's a, you can do that. It actually can happen. But you know, Jesus was oppressed. Jesus was there and He was uh, uh, brought down and down. But you know, friends, Jesus can uplift you when you're oppressed. He can take you and lift you up. Notice this, He says, He goes on to say, He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus is acquainted with all the feelings and all the, the, the sorrows of humanity. And how could that possibly be, though? How could Jesus actually identify with humanity? Now, remember, we're talking about the high priestly ministry of Jesus. We're talking about our high priest. Turn with me now to Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 2. And we'll look at what Paul brings up here on this point in Hebrews chapter 2. And here I believe Paul clearly, clearly spells it out. There's no question about it. Um, there's no mistake about his words because his words are emphatically clear. But uh, notice what he does here. Hebrews chapter 2, notice with me please, verse 14. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, meaning Christ, also himself likewise took part of the same. Now, what was he partaking of that was the same? All right, flesh and blood. Now, he's going to go on to describe this point because, you see, did Jesus just, was he just a human being? In other words, did he just have bones and flesh and that was all? All right. Now, Paul is going to actually go down and very clear, you know, clearly detail and drive home the significance of what he's trying to say here. All right. Notice what he says. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil. Now, Jesus, in taking part of the same, of flesh and blood, the reason why was that he might what? He might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil. So this is vital then in his partaking of flesh and blood is vital for him in destroying Satan. Exactly, because that's where the next verse goes on to say, if you read with me here. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to what? Now, now notice this. In partaking of the flesh and blood, Jesus would then conquer death and the devil, but also at the same time, he would then go on what? And set free those who all their lifetime were subject to what? Bondage and death. Now, let me ask you this. What nature, what nature was subject to bondage and death? Was it the nature of Adam before the fall or after the fall? Well, it's obvious because now he's going to clearly, the next statement clearly indicates uh, which nature Jesus was a partaker of. Watch what he says. 
he says, for verily he took not of him the nature of angels. You see, he wanted to make it clear that, that to the people that when he said that he was a partaker of flesh and blood, that they didn't misunderstand what he was saying. He didn't want to, the people to miss, uh, miss the whole concept of what he was trying to talk about on this point. So he built his case. He simply says that Paul, or he says that Jesus partook of flesh and blood. And the reason he had to do that was to conquer death and Satan and to set free of those who were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now he's going to go on to clarify the, the flesh and blood, the qualification. He's going to actually clarify what he meant by that in verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. The mere fact, you know, the way it's written, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels. He knew that people would misunderstand the statement in verse 14. So now Paul, is the way it's written, he's actually taking up the objection. In other words, he's writing it in such a way, he's trying to say, don't let it enter your mind. If you're thinking that, let me tell you, he didn't take on him the nature of angels. In other words, he didn't have a nature that was holy and blameless in the sense that it was, you know, like Adam before the fall. He took on him a nature that was subject to bondage. As Paul, you know, actually said in, in, in Galatians 4, 4, he was made of a woman. And you know what the rest of it says on the bottom? Or he was born of a woman, made where? Under the law. That's not Adam's nature before the fall. And so Paul picks up on that point. He, he deals with the objection very quickly. But then he goes on and says, But he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now, why does it say the nature of Abraham? Because that, that, the, the fact, and I'll tell you what, why, why Paul's doing this. He emphasizes the seed of Abraham. Now, where he's taking you is beyond Abraham. Yeah, he's coming way down, you see. Listen, Abraham, if you go back to, to, to chronology and study chronology out from the time of Adam and Eve, you go to Abraham, it's 2,500 years. All right? Now, it would have been sufficient for him to simply say why he took on him the nature uh, of Noah. Everyone knows Noah lived after the fall. But that wasn't the point. The point was that he was actually going to emphasize the fact that Jesus was a partaker of the nature of the seed of Abraham. And that just brings it down all the way down for you and I who live in the last generation. It goes all the way down. It takes in far beyond 2,500 years. It takes in all the way down. The seed of Abraham. And so Paul makes it crystal clear what nature he took. Now, why is it so vital? Now remember, Paul emphasized before that he could identify clearly identified with the feelings and sufferings of humanity. He was tempted at all points in comparison to like how you and I are tempted, but he did not sin. Now he makes that emphatically clear. But then Paul goes on now, he says, now Jesus took our nature, showing that his statement that he made in, in the identity of the feelings and infirmities could only be felt and, and understood when he took our nature. Because if Jesus could not or did not take our nature... Could he actually identify with us? There's no way, because how could he be tempted like as we are if he had a nature contrary to us? Therefore, you see, that, that just totally does away with the statement. So he deals with the infirmities, the temptations, the identity, you know, the oneness that he, that he can identify. He deals with that, then he moves on, he goes on, he talks, and now he's dealing with the, the, the basis of all this, how could it possibly be that he could identify is because he partook of the same nature. Now he deals with this point. Now watch where Paul takes you in relationship to the priestly ministry of Jesus. 
Because that's where he's going to build his case. Look with me here in Hebrews chapter 2. Notice with me verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be like unto his brethren. Now, here again, he's actually coming summing up what he actually stated in Hebrews chapter 4. It says where he was tempted at all points like as we are. It says, and wherefore in all things it behooved him to be like unto his brethren. Again, Paul's driving home a point where he didn't want anyone to misunderstand that Christ was in all points like as we are. He could identify in all realm. There wasn't anyone who could say, well, you know, Jesus just doesn't know what it's like to be in this position. You see, no. Paul's trying to do away with all those arguments. He, the reason why, and I'll tell you why, because Paul is now going to exalt the high priestly ministry of Jesus in its proper place. He's going to show how that Jesus, who is our high priest, can actually, in regards to where you are and, and, and what experience you're going through and what temptations you're uh, meeting, he can actually identify. And because of this, his high priestly ministry has a more impact for you and more benefit for you. Now he's going to bring this in. Watch. In verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be like unto his brethren that. Now the word that there, let's stop that because there's a powerful word. What's the significance of the word that? Exactly. Exactly. In other words, Paul is saying, he, now he's just simply now on the basis of all this, on the basis that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, he can identify with us and all our feelings of infirmities in that he was a partaker of flesh and blood, the same nature that we partake of. He was, in, he was uh, in, in all points and all things made like unto us. On the basis of this, on the basis of all this, watch. Now he's going to draw in for the high priestly ministry. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation or atonement for the sins of the people. Now you see how vital then it was that Paul clarified that he could identify with his people and then draw the, the understanding to show the people that he, that he had to have the nature identical to us in order that he might identify and on the basis of all this, now he goes on to say, now, on the basis of this, we have a high priest. Now, notice what kind of a high priest we have. He says he's, notice, there are two characteristics given to him, at least in this verse. He's what kind of a high priest? Uh, he's a merciful and faithful. Now, let's take the merciful aspect first. Why is he so merciful? All right. There's the identity. You see him drawing back again to the identity? You see that? You see the identity part? He's simply drawing on the identity. He said, look, we have a merciful high priest. How would you feel? Wouldn't you like to, I mean, if you had to go to court and there was a judge and, uh, and uh, wouldn't you want really a judge or a lawyer or, you know, somehow who felt and knew exactly what you were going through? He experienced the, the actual uh, trauma and everything that you've gone through. In this way, you know that the judge would be merciful. You know that. And that's why Paul emphasizes this point. Paul is trying to emphasize to the people of God at the time, listen, you have a high priest who can identify on the basis of this, he's merciful towards you. He was one with us. Why? Because he partook of the same nature. He can identify. He knows the feelings you go through when you are tempted. And on the basis of this, we have a merciful high priest. Priest. Now, he doesn't stop there. He goes on to the next point and says he's what? Alright, now he's faithful. Now why is he faithful? 
because he can identify because he was there. And because he was there, he is faithful to the point of he knows exactly what it takes to get you through it. Amen. He is. Absolutely. Now I want to show you something here. He's merciful and faithful high priest. And things pertaining to God. That's right. Because there it talks about God. And then he says to make reconciliation. Or the atonement. To reconcile God's people back to him. But again that can only be done through the high priestly ministry. It cannot be done any other way. Reconciliation has to come out that way. So that really proves really clearly that the reconciliation or atonement was not completed to the cross. Cannot be. It cannot be. If the atonement was completed at the cross, then the high priestly ministry was not relevant whatsoever. But Paul makes it clear it is relevant for reconciliation. It's relevant for atonement. Because what needed to be atoned? Sins. And he goes on to tell you that's what it was for, the sins of the people. You see, So, so the atonement was not completed at the cross. And verse 18 well, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to go there. I'm not, don't, 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 I'm not going to pull that question. I want to take you somewhere else. Notice this. He's faithful. He's merciful. Turn with me to Hebrews 7. Keep that in your mind. He's merciful and he's faithful. And he's talking about the priestly ministry of Jesus. Now watch this. And I love this point that Paul brings out. We're going to take up chapter 7 in our next lecture. We're going to go verse by verse. Uh, because I believe it's just beautiful. Filled with just wonderful things on the priestly ministry of Jesus. But notice with me here, in verse 25, Wherefore, look at 24, I'm sorry, look at 24. But this man, talking about Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath what? An unchangeable priesthood. Now this is going to be contingent on his merciful and faithful high priestly ministry. Unchangeable priesthood. I love that thought. I love to think that we have a Lord who doesn't change. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. But notice what is unchangeable. What is it that's unchangeable? The priesthood. The priesthood. Goes on in verse 25. It says, Wherefore he is able also to save them unto the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus ever lives to make intercession. Unchangeable, unchangeable priesthood. You know, I love to think about this because just think about this for a moment. He ever lives for you and me. He lives for you and me. How would you feel if someone on this earth would actually every day of the, mo- of, of the week, moment by moment, hour by hour, and so on, week after week, month after month, year after year, all the individual did was live for you. Think about it. Just really, that's all he did, the person did for you, personally. Just lived for you. Nothing else. He didn't care about himself. Didn't care what happened. All he wanted to do was make sure he lived for you. Whatever you needed, he, he, he made sure he got. Whatever you wanted, he would go get. Um, whatever you liked, he made sure you had it. And so on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He would always live for you. How would you? I mean, to me, I, I've never had that experience in, in, on this earth. But, uh, and I know, I doubt if anyone here has ever had that. And I can't fathom that concept, to be very honest with you, how someone could actually live for me, actually want to live for me. 
But we're told here Jesus is actually living for us. He's living for you. We have a high priest who's actually living. He loves to live for you to make intercession. You know, I like how, how uh, the psalmist says this in Psalm 121. Notice with me in Psalm 121 how the psalmist picks up on, I, you know, the, the ministry of God, really. And talking about uh, where our help comes from. Psalm 121. Notice this. Psalm 121, verse 1. And this is really referring to the unchangeableness of our high priestly ministry, our, our high priest ministry. Psalm 121, it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be removed. He that keepeth thee will not what? He will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and ever forevermore. You see, our Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. He ever lives for, uh, for you and me. He ever lives. He doesn't take a nap. You know, I remember, you know, like the days of Elijah... When the prophets of Baal, they were, you know, trying to uh, get their God to answer by fire, and they were sacrificing and dancing around and so on, etc., and yelling and screaming. And, you know, Elijah started poking at him a little bit, you know, he just, he said, well, maybe you ought to shout a little louder. He may be asleep, you know, maybe taking a nap, you know, a little bit louder now, and you'll get it. And, uh, you know, he was poking at him, and, you know, see, and, 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 and there he was making fun of that. Your God sleeps. You see, pagan gods always sleep. But you see, the true God, Jehovah, well, He neither slumbers nor sleeps. You see, listen, why is Paul bringing this out? Why is he emphasizing this? Listen, it's to give you and I confidence in Him. To know that we have someone who always lives for us to make reconciliation for our sins. One who neither slumbers nor sleeps. There's no such thing as Jesus taking, taking a five-minute break and saying, Ooh, I, just, ooh, I missed my, I got a good glass of water. And walks out to say, you know, and, and walks out and, you know, and says, just hold on all the prayers. You know, just keep them on hold for five minutes. I'll be right back. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. You know, and, it, you know, it reminds me, you can find this beauty in the sanctuary. You know the meaning of what I'm bringing out right now in the sanctuary, where they offer incense day and night. All the time. 24 hours a day. Incense was always offered up. And the reason why was to show that God was always listening and ready to answer prayer all the time. See, in other words, you can wake up in the middle of the night. didn't matter where it was or where you were, what, what it was. God would listen to you. He'd answer your prayer. Because you see, He neither slumbers nor sleeps. That's the kind of high priest we have. Now, why is Paul, as I said, why is he bringing all of this out? Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Notice with me, please. Verse 18. Now, remember, he built his case up on the identity, 
You know, he with the feelings. So you see, he didn't want anyone thinking, well, how could God actually feel this? How could he actually go through the trial I'm going through? Paul dealt with that. Then he showed him, the, because he knew that the next thing was, well, how could God, if he were God, how could he actually identify with me in my nature? So Paul then dealt with the nature aspect. Okay, so he dealt with those two aspects. Then he brings in that priestly ministry of Jesus, that these two were absolutely vital for his priestly ministry, that he might be merciful and faithful. Goes on to emphasize now the unchangeableness of his ministry, that we have a high priest who doesn't take naps. He's always living for you and me. He's neither slumbers nor sleeps. So we have the identity, the nature, the unchangeable priesthood ministry. Now, why is Paul bringing all of this out? Now, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. How, is, how did he suffer being tempted? How could you suffer being tempted? Well, he suffered being tempted because he had our nature. And he, the temptations, you ever been tempted where you suffer inside? Come on, you know what I mean? A temptation, like you feel like, and you're feeling the pains of the temptation because of the, because of the, the, the human nature. Absolutely. Absolutely. He says, For in that he suffered being tempted, he is able, now on the basis of all this, he is able to help them that are tempted. All of it comes down to the point of having a high priest who can actually give you sufficient grace for help in the time you need. Look, because he says the same thing in Hebrews 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4, 16. And, and again, he uses the conclusion aspect. He says, let us therefore, all right? Again, that whole, that, just that little phrase right there, Paul is now summing up. Again, he's, he's summing up all that he built upon. Let us therefore, on the basis of all of this, let us therefore come boldly. Now, let's don't misunderstand that word. That word boldly, don't take it to what we mean today to mean arrogance, you know, that's not what it's talking about. Something we think boldly, I'm going to walk in boldly to the point of being arrogant. That's not what it's talking about. He's talking about coming boldly, with in other words, with, with, with assurance or confidence. Exactly. But now let's understand this. Now that we've clarified the identific, uh, definition of the word, where is our assurance and where is our, 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 um, our, our confidence? Is it in you? Jesus. All right, it's in Christ. Why is there such confidence and why is there such assurance in Jesus? Because He can identify with us. Because He was a partaker of the same nature. He knows what the feelings of suffering and humanity is all about. You see, because He's merciful and faithful. He's unchangeable in His priesthood. He doesn't sleep or slumber any time. Because of that, you and I can come with confidence, with assurance on Him. Oh, you want to preach on the assurance of Jesus? This is preaching the assurance of Jesus. Paul goes on to conclude, Let us therefore come boldly with confidence and assurance. Where? Unto the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see... That was the whole point in Paul emphasizing in Hebrews 3.1 to consider our high priest. To the point of investigation whereby in that investigation you become a partaker of the blessings of that investigation. 
Paul is saying, because Jesus can identify, because he was one with humanity, he has an unchangeable priesthood. He, he delights, he loves to live for you day and night, all the time to make intercession for you and your behalf. On the basis of this, brothers and sisters, we, you and I, ought to come to him with confidence and assurance, knowing that because he can and will give you grace to help you in time of need. I don't know where your temptations are or what you're, you're going through, what trials you may be having, but listen, it matters not what the trials are because Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are. Therefore, Jesus has grace sufficient to meet those trials. And I know that we are living in a crisis time a time in which, which many things are going on in the church and out of the church and, and all over. And, and friends, I tell you, we need, and now as never before, to cling to Jesus now as never before. To, to uh, commune with Him day and night. Because I tell you this, that only those who cooperate with our high priest will be those that will have their sins cleansed and blotted out. No one will have their sins blotted out of the record of heaven unless they cooperate with the high priestly ministry of Jesus. But you cannot really truly have confidence in Him unless you understand that He was one with you. And knowing that He's one with you and can identify with you, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. <coughs> My prayer is that you and I might take heed to this and Listen to the words of our blessed Lord when he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how much I pray that we might avail ourselves of the beautiful ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ and the high priestly function upon which he is taking now. Oh Lord, we know that soon, very soon, as Isaiah prophesied of in Isaiah 59, that there will be one time when there will be no intercessor between God and man. And I pray, dear Lord, that we will not be found wanting in that day, but that, Lord, we might be there standing with the seal of God on our foreheads and clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Forgive us of our sins, dear Lord. Cleanse our hearts. Help us to walk in the fear of the Lord and to love you and cherish you above all earthly things. And we pray now, we come to the throne of grace, confidence in Jesus, because we know, we've just studied, we know you love to live for us. And we thank you so much for that. So we're coming now and we're asking for grace, sufficient grace, dear Lord, to meet the trials. And Father, fill us with the Holy Spirit that will overflow and will go out to share with others the beautiful truths that you've given to us as a people. Bless us now and keep us as our prayer. In Jesus' holy name, amen.